So we're in Acts chapter 12, um, and uh, we kind of had a, had, a, had a gap as uh, Pastor Shane was sharing about the, the church building and uh, everything coming up with that. Uh, the last time we met, so two weeks ago, and talked about, went through uh, tra- chapter 12, we started the beginning of chapter 12 and got about halfway through. And uh, we see that um, King Herod, and we went over a little bit of history of King Herod, and I have a little bit more um, to kind of go over today. But uh, King Herod, trying to win the affection of the Jews, um, persecuted the church, especially the leadership. And he focused on James, uh, had him arrested, and uh, he was put to death by the sword. Um, and then later we see that he went after Peter, had Peter arrested, was going to bring him out in front of the people, presumably to do the same as uh, was done to James. But that night, uh, as Peter was chained to two guards, with two other guards standing outside the door, um, in the middle of the night, an angel releases him, leads him through the, through the jail, out into the city streets and outside the gate. Peter thinks he's dreaming, and when he comes to, he realizes that he's actually been freed. And so he heads to a home where other believers have gathered. And that's, that's what we'll pick up in uh, uh, verse 12. Um, as we kind of think about this, though, as we, we look at like what, you know, maybe the section is kind of talking about, picking up some of the things that we saw last week, uh, kind of focus a little bit on Herod, and we'll kind of bookend that with Herod, because he is introduced in this chapter, and then we'll see that he actually exits at this chapter as well. Um, but uh, we'll see the, the reason why when we get to the end. How many are familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Has at least heard of that term, Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, and maybe the first question, does anyone know what the first question is in the Westminster Shorter Catechism? What is the chief end of man? Have you guys ever heard that question? Or the chief end of man? So uh, typically if you're, you grew up Presbyterian, um, or you don't necessarily have to be, uh, the kids will learn that in a catechism. And so the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? John Michael, do you know the answer to that? To enjoy God and glorify Him forever. Yeah, so man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so you've got kind of these two, two ideas, which are really deep and impactful, and as you, you can even spend you know, lots of time kind of thinking about that. And John Piper kind of picked up this idea in his uh, books, Desiring God, and, and even kind of coined a phrase, Christian Hedonism, and the idea of like, our, our chief desire should be enjoying God, which kind of gives us like tension, especially in the Christian's life of you know, how, how we can balance those two. But that first end is that man's chief end, meaning like our sole purpose, our sole goal is to glorify God. And there's a whole lot that we could talk about if we went deeper into this, other sermons that go uh, alongside this. But when we look at what, what we're going to see today is that we see kind of two people that, um, in response to the things that are happening to them, uh, they either glorify God, and we see kind of the result of that, or they deny God, and we see the result of that as well. And you don't often see the stark contrast kind of in narrative form, but we're going to kind of pick up on that as we, we look at uh, that today. Um, I'm kind of uh, t- uh, titling this as, as, as Acknowledging God. Um, when we think of the word glorifying God, I think sometimes we, we think of like the, the extreme end of like uh, that praise, that worship, maybe exuberant joy, which I think is the attitude that we should have. But I think it really starts with 
um, a constant acknowledgement of just God in our lives, you know, uh, just the fact that like he is there, he is present, even in what we might think are mundane things. And so, um, so here we're going to see, uh, uh, as a result of, you know, Peter being released to jail, we're going to see Peter and, and the other believers, their, their response, and they really acknowledge God's involvement in what's going on. It's, it's hard to escape that God is intimately involved in the events that have transpired. We'll pick up in verse 12. Um, when he realized this, and so Peter has, has you know, been, been let out of jail, and he's uh, in, in, the, in the streets, and it says, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the other brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Okay, so Peter finds himself in the streets. Uh, where did he go? Where does, it, where does it say that Peter went off to? Mary's house. Mary's house. Okay, and so there's several Marys in, in Scripture, but we see a, a clear indication of which Mary this is. Um, it says that, that it's the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So there's this man named John Mark, uh, often referred to as just Mark, and we'll find him later on in Scripture. We'll also find that uh, Mark uh, would have been, it's, it, we find out that Mark would be Barnabas's cousin. And so we know Barnabas uh, from a couple other places that we've seen in Acts. Uh, most recently, he went up to Antioch and uh, to check out the believers up there and then had grabbed Saul to come down and, uh, and join him in ministry in Antioch. But Mark, or John Mark, um, is something that we'll kind of run into a little bit later. But this would be, this Mary would be Barnabas's aunt and John Mark's mother. And so that's, uh, that's where Peter went. Um, now, what were the people doing while Peter was supposedly imprisoned? So the thing is, that they don't know what's going on, but they think, where, where is Peter? They think Peter's in jail, right? That he's still, he's still in jail. And while he's in jail, what are they doing? They're praying for him, okay? I mean, we stopped and paused about that. Like, what do you guys think they, they were praying for? If you were praying for somebody in prison, especially if you were praying for somebody in prison who, you know, you know another leader, uh, prominent leader in the church has already been been killed by Herod. Peter is in jail. What do you think your your prayers would be if you knew like you were in those circumstances? We don't know, but what would you think those, those prayers would be? Okay? So so it could be Lord, get him out of jail. Okay? I don't know how you're going to do it, but get him out of jail. <laughs> Did I hear earthquake? Is that earthquake to get him out of jail or just <laughs> We need, a, we need a good earthquake, God. Um, you know, that could be too. You know, sometimes, you know, with, uh, with events, you know, people then humble themselves. And it could be Herod needs to realize, you know, 
that you are his God and that he needs to, to stop, you know, stop persecuting you. So it could be in the form of some sort of event, either to free him directly. Uh, what else do you think they could be praying for? Okay. Yeah. So it could be, it could be Lord. I mean, this might be Peter's end, you know, again, from their perspective and just being comforted during this time. That's great. Pray for safety. safety. Okay. Yeah, definitely. uh, Could be, could be mistreated. Um, What's that? For God to be glorified for, you know, perhaps Peter to have the words to, to speak. Uh, truth to be able to share the gospel to you know all all of these things we know you know from kind of Paul's uh, prison letters you know and he, he kind of mentions some of the things that he's praying for and he'll say you know pray for usually Peter or for Paul's prayers were like pray for an open door of ministry um, he often didn't think you know he kind of had in his own sense like whether his time was over or not and so a lot of a lot of the prison ministry, uh, epistles were at a time when he was in prison and he didn't think. Like it would lead to his death, and so a lot of times he's like, "Well, just pray that I have have uh, have an open door for ministry while I'm here in jail." And so they might be praying for his escape, um, and they're like, "You know, did they think it was going to happen?" You know, they could be praying for some other things. Lord, just help him be bold during this time. Uh, but it's encouraging to see that while he's in prison, you know, that night, because it seems that events kind of happened and transpired quickly, that the church quickly uh, got together and were praying for him, even in the middle of the night. Um, so we see that, you know, uh, he knocks on the door, a girl named Rhoda uh, comes to answer, uh, but doesn't let him in. Now, why does she not let him in? What does it say? <laughs> yeah, so it says, in her joy... She did not open the gate. So you kind of get this idea, like, of all things, you know, Peter's like, just let me in, right? Like, I just escaped. I'm out here in the middle of the night. I'm, you know, the angel's not here with me anymore, like, right? So um, just, like, <laughs> let me in because, you know, uh, I, just, I just got out. And she was so excited. It's one of those things, like, so excited that she didn't, she, didn't, uh, she didn't let him in. She actually ran to tell the others, like, you won't believe who I just saw of all the ironies in, in Scripture. You know, this is one of those times. And so she was so excited that Peter was actually outside that she went and she reported to the other. Now, how, how did they respond when they hear, heard that um, it was Peter or that she said it was Peter? Yeah, right? They didn't believe her. Now, why? Why do you think they didn't believe her? Because he's in prison, right? What's he doing outside if he's in prison? Okay. What's that? Why didn't she? No. Why didn't she open the gate? Uh, who knows? We don't know anything about her past. If she's had a past for any of these things, but um, but yeah. Um, so there could be a sense that it's ironic, especially maybe if they were praying for his escape, that he's actually escaped, and then they don't believe her. Um, more likely, I think it, it probably leads to the fact that they probably think that James has already been killed. You know, because every time so far, other than Stephen, any time that somebody's been apprehended, that they've been let go, or the you know the Lord had open had an, had an opportunity for him to escape, which is you know again 
not unlikely that he could escape because they've done it before, but now it's kind of, we talked about last time, now it's Herod, right? And now it's kind of with the authority of the Roman government. And so maybe while the, the, the um, Sanhedrin uh, arrested um, these guys in the past, like they just they didn't have the authority that the Roman Empire had. And again, the Roman Empire has that authority to even um, to kill someone legally, uh, the last one, Stephen, it was kind of more like mob justice. Like they pushed him out of the city and he stoned him and it just kind of happened. Um, it wasn't sanctioned. But anytime, you know, knowing in the, even in the death of Jesus, like the Jews came and, and had to have Pilate come and uh, have him crucified. Um, so now it's under the Roman authority. James was killed. They already have that, oh no, you know, now this other one, you know, this next one's happening. Maybe it is, you know, this time that, that these things are, are unfolding. But in either case, whatever the reason is, right, they don't believe her. Um, maybe they think that it's, it's Peter's time to die as well. And so they responded. They said, no, no, it's his angel. Um, why do you think they responded, it is his angel? Yeah. So um, the Jews had, had kind of this idea that every person had a guardian angel, uh, not unlike some people, you know, today have a similar similar notion, um, and that sometimes that guardian angel can manifest himself or herself as the person whom they were guardian over. So it's kind of more of like a cultural belief, not from scripture why Jews believe this, but it began to become a kind of like a cultural thing. So in a sense, it was like, oh, you probably saw his ghost, um, that his you saw his spirit, that he was probably killed. Um, and that he died and then instead of that he escaped. So where is their worldview kind of in this right now? If you want to think about it, I mean, are they believing, right? So far we, you know, we kind of talked about this at the end of the last week, knowing what we know from Peter's vantage, like who, who orchestrated Peter's escape? Who was in charge of that? Well, say, yeah, God is in charge of that. And it kind of, we kind of said, you know, uh, that, that, oh, yeah, it's obvious, right, that God was in charge, that God had orchestrated these things. Is it plausible that God could do all these things? Right, yeah, if you believe in God that who created, you know, everything out of nothing, um, of course that God has the power to do these things, but it kind of almost then challenges their worldview. And we get to the same, same place um, whenever we're challenged, uh, with some sort of difficulty in our lives, right? Sometimes we think, well, I, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't it. And, and, and part of it is because God uses, right? God uses illness. God uses death um, for different reasons. And so it's, 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 uh, we kind of succumb to, okay, this is where what God is going to do. But often God surprises us, right? And so they're kind of stuck in the fact that they just think, no, nah, you didn't see Peter. You probably saw his ghost, and so, what's more plausible, Peter's ghost or actually Peter outside? From a biblical worldview, Peter outside is more plausible. Um, you know, so, so uh, though there, even though they're praying for him, haven't quite come around to the fact that God is actually working in their midst. It's like uh, the, the man who said, you know, I believe, help me believe, right? I told that to, to Jesus, um, and so they have, have this kind of doubt in their minds. So 
When they actually saw him, though, so he keeps knocking on the door, right? Like, hello, I'm outside, let me in. Probably, you know, looking back and forth, you know, hopefully, <laughs> hoping nobody, nobody sees him in the middle of the night. And so he continued knocking. He says, when they opened the door, how did they respond? The end of verse 16. They were what? They were amazed, right? They were, they were like shocked that Peter is standing there, and rightfully so, right? I mean, he was arrested. Again, he's going to be tried. They've already, you know, mourning the death of James, kind of all of these things, but rightfully so, like he is now standing in front of us. She had told you, Rhoda told us, but now actually seeing him, it amazed him. Just the same thing as, as Thomas needing to kind of touch Jesus and to kind of be amazed physically. Like now they're getting that same sense with them uh, right there. And so did Peter stay with them? What's that? Yeah. No, no. Yeah, so he, he kind of just want, he wanted to go there, knew that they were praying for him, and he wanted to kind of send a message, right? And he, it says that he motioned to them with his hand to be silent, right? So he's been knocking, and so you can kind of, kind of get the sense, like, right? He's, he's like, all right, <laughs> I want to just tell you what happened, and then I have to go. And who does he, who does he acknowledge helped him escape? Yeah, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, right? Acknowledging that behind the angel, that it is God who orchestrated all these things. And even he himself, I mean, if you want to even be, you know, uh, critical of that, like he himself didn't even realize what was happening. He felt like it was a dream. And it wasn't until he got outside did he actually realize, like, what had happened, Part sleepiness, but probably also part, again, God working and intervening in his life in, in an amazing way. Even though Peter had experienced this many times in different ways, um, you know, after a lapse of, of a certain time where God isn't always constantly, continually intervening in your life, you kind of get lulled into that sense that, well, maybe, you know, uh, God is kind of being hands-off in this situation, but not here, not here. And so he wanted to send a message to James and to the other leaders um, that he escaped. Why do you think he wanted to tell them that? What's that? So they won't worry about him, right? So they may be encouraged. So they may know where Peter's at because he's probably going to hear some things uh, of things going on. And so I wanted to at least send the message to James and to the others. So that also assumes if the message is being sent, that he's not going to them directly. And that his mind is like, I need to get, I need to get out of here, right? He's out in the middle of the night, wanted to just stop by, wanted to be silent, kind of probably looking around, send this message, know that the Lord has done this. And, you know, it's not me. I didn't have some sort of, you know, I, I didn't break out on my own accord. Um, but God has done this. I need to go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They still didn't connect that they were praying and got answered. Right. We're so like that. Yes. Yeah, we're like that, unfortunately, too many times, right? It's not, it's not uh, you know, it's very rare to be in the midst of something. Now, there are, there are times that I think God, like, maybe emotionally and uh, kind of supernaturally gives us peace through certain situations that we kind of feel beside ourselves, but it's usually... On the on on the um, after the fact that we can look back and see, 
oh, that was God working through these events. Not like God is working right now here, right? <laughs> like, you know, Peter again, like, hey, oh, I'm with an angel. I've just escaped. God is with me right now. He goes to this thing as they're praying. God is with us right now as we're praying and we're seeing these things uh, confirm uh, what's going on. And so that, that's a great point, Lisa. Like, we are often so, so like, uh, them, so like Peter sometimes, where we don't even acknowledge you know, what's going on. And so here is actually where we see kind of Peter like fade into the background, um, at least through the, the rest of Acts. We'll see Peter one more time, but where Peter's ministry of him being bold and preaching, remember uh, in chapter 2 after the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, uh, kind of came upon them and, and uh, on Pentecost, preaching out in the open and getting arrested, uh, healing people, all these things that Peter has done, um, even like walking through the streets and people wanting to like get in the shadow and be healed. Peter played such a prominent part in the first half of Acts. Like this is actually like the time that Peter now goes into hiding. And, uh, we see, we see him, we'll see him one more time, but that's it for the rest of Acts because now God is going to shift and focus on somebody else, which we'll start looking at next week. But really the rest of Acts is gonna, gonna kind of follow uh, Paul, and how God is going to use Paul to spread the gospel outside of Israel. So where did Peter go? Uh, we don't know in Scripture. We know Peter went to a few different places. Can you guys think of like a couple different places that Peter has been found? You know, like it's like, where's Waldo? Like, where was Peter? Um, so scripturally, where do we know Peter had been later on after, after this event? Can you think of it? So Paul, Paul rebukes him for something that happens in Antioch uh, later on. So we see that, you'll see that in Galatians. Um, so we know Peter eventually makes his way to Antioch at some point. Some people think that he goes to Antioch from here, and that would be plausible because we just read about what went on in Antioch that maybe goes up to Antioch. When we see in, in, next time we see Peter, will be in Acts chapter 15. Uh, he will be in Jerusalem. So it's possible that he didn't really go far, although he probably did and then came back um, because we'll see the events that happened. Because right now he's, he's a, a, a heavy target. Something that he went to Rome, because uh, there's indications that he went to Rome. He actually, uh, you know, tradition says that he was um, crucified uh, in Rome. Um, we know from 1 Corinthians that Peter went to, he was referred to as Cephas, uh, but referred to um, in chapter 1 that Peter had gone there. Um, and because uh, there was a faction that had formed, like, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I am of Cephas or Peter. And so um, a couple different places that he could have possibly gone to. Some say Rome or Antioch. I think he probably went to Antioch, but again, we have no idea. But he does kind of fade into the background and uh, is not seen. And we kind of talked a little bit, you know, how does this imprisonment differ from the last imprisonment? Um, because you guys remember the last imprisonment, that Peter was in, they were arrested, but he was arrested by the Sanhedrin, and this time he's arrested by Herod, and under Roman guard. Um, last one, they both were let out by an angel, um, but where was Peter commanded to go after the last imprisonment? Yeah, so go back and preach. And on this side, it's like, you know, you can, you can connect the dots, Peter, you should probably probably go into hiding. I got you out. Now it's time for you to kind of, you know, fade into the background. Um, but we see here that Herod, 
you know, being this Roman authority is striking fear into the Christian community, uh, especially if, you know, instead of going out and preaching openly, um, it's, okay, I need to, to go into hiding. So that's kind of, the, kind of the thoughts. Even though the Lord has spared Peter, um, none of them have, have been seen to have been emboldened to continue preaching um, while all of these things are going on. So we pick up now verse 18. We see ignoring God's involvement. So we saw acknowledging God's involvement. Peter acknowledged that it was the Lord who helped him escape. Verse 18 says, Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. That's probably an understatement. (laughs) And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and he spent time there. So what was the response? How did did the soldiers' response to uh, Peter's escape? They were panicking, right? They were, they, were, they were perplexed. They were confused. They had no idea. I mean, you know, again, uh, there's kind of a thought that, did these guys fall asleep? Is that how, you know, and it's possible that the angel uh, had them fall asleep. But one of the reasons that there was, there was four different guards, uh, rotations, of four different men, and that the reason that they did that was every few hours they would rotate out. So it would try to guard against... Um, these guys falling asleep. If you only have a three-hour shift, certainly you could uh, you know, stay awake during that time until the next shift came. And so it seems like supernaturally, like the angel kind of like, you know, woke him up, you know, had to like, again, it, you know, hit him in his side to wake Peter up. So we know Peter was sleeping, but as far as the guards, they just, you know, escaped right under their midst. Two guards outside the door, um, and then again through the gate, nobody saw anything that had happened for how Peter escaped. And so, rightly so, that there was complete confusion about what happened. And so, how did Peter respond to that? Or, sorry, Peter, how did Herod respond? What's that? Yeah, he had him put to death. I mean, first he went and went to search for him. You could tell probably he was probably angered, you know, that it's, it was something that was going against him to, for these guys to escape, him being in charge of these soldiers. And then in the end... He had them put to death. And the soldiers were put to death because it was a soldier's responsibility to be in charge of the men that they guarded. And often, whatever the punishment would be for that person was the punishment that was enacted on the guard himself. So if this person was uh, to be put to death and the guard let that person escape, then that guard would be put to death. This also confirms that likely Herod was going to do it to Peter what, James, what had happened to James um, as well, that, that he would have been likely put to death. And so it was their responsibility, and we actually see this in a couple other times later on in Acts, so you can kind of keep that in the back of your mind. As a Roman soldier, it was your responsibility for your prisoner. And if your prisoner escapes, you get that punishment put back on you. So it, it tries to guard against a lot about bribery, uh, or guard against anything about letting somebody escape, if you especially have that um, you know, that hanging over your head. That's a Justinian code, right? <clears throat> What's that? Just the Justinian code. Sounds good. Sounds good. I think, uh, I'm not exactly sure, but I've, you know. Yeah, but if a soldier allowed a prisoner to escape, 
He would occur the same wrath? Okay. Um, yeah, so whatever it's called, if that's what it is, then Justinian code, we'll go with it. Um, and so, so ultimately, what was Herod denying? <laughs> that God did it. That God did it, right? I mean, there has to be some other explanation. Some other explanation is that these guards must be in collusion, um, and, you know, that they're responsible for it, and so that they need to be put to death, but certainly it's not God that, that is doing this. Um, and somebody has to pay, and then it says, then he went to Caesarea. So he goes to the, the coast in order to, uh, um, to get away. And we're going to kind of turn to that in just a second. Um, last week, uh, or last time we, we met, um, there was kind of some questions, and so I wanted to kind of answer some of these questions, like as far as Herod and uh, all the Herods in Scripture. Not, not necessarily all the Herods in Scripture, uh, but I'm going to go over kind of a timeline of some of these people, just so we know who is who in the Bible. And you guys kind of get confusing, um, but we'll, we'll try to keep it straight. So going back to Herod the Great, uh, Herod the Great was the Herod when Jesus was born and when, uh, you know, the wise men came and they talked to Herod. So this is Herod the Great, um, kind of the first line in the Herodian dynasty. And uh, as kind of a background to follow up with um, this Herod that we're seeing, this is Herod Agrippa. There's a Herod in the middle. We'll kind of see how they overlap in just a second. So I'm going to kind of give some, some, some kind of facts as we kind of go along of, of Herod um, and some of these other Herods to kind of tie in, like, what's going on, and maybe gives us a little insight as to this Herod, Herod Agrippa, because we're going to see his end in just a second. So Herod the Great, um, in 39, he's, he's uh, under the Emperor Augustus. And again, this Herod, we said that he was uh, raised Jewish, he was an Edomite, um, so kind of looked at as a partial Jew, kind of similar to like the Samaritans, but not, not in, in such a way. Um, had a relationship with the uh, Roman um, uh, politics, and so had kind of a favorable relationship with Rome, which kind of puts you in a place of like, how do you win over the Jews who hate the Ro- Romans, who are, you know, their oppressors, but also, um, also being, you know, how do you win them over while also winning over those who are your, you know, your uh, occupiers, your, your emperor. And so he kind of was balancing those two things. Um, but had a favorable relationship with, with Augustus. So in 39 BC, he marries uh, a woman, Mariam, and banishes his first wife, Doris, and his son, Antipater. Okay? We'll talk about him in just a second. So he had a first wife. He marries another wife for political reasons and banishes this first wife, Doris, and the son, Antipater. Okay? We'll get to them in a second. 29 BC, so 10 years has elapsed. Um, he had that wife. Uh, Mariam tried for adultery and executed. Her mother, who actually testified against her daughter, declared herself queen, and Herod uh, unfit to rule. Uh, as a result, Herod had her executed. So Herod's second wife, uh, he didn't like her, so he said she was an adulteress. That <laughs> wife's mother actually said, yeah, that's true. So you can kind of see like the confusion in the family. Uh, uh, testified against that so she could be queen. She declares herself queen and Herod unfit. And Herod's like, what's the big deal? You can't just declare yourself queen. And he gets, uh, gets rid of her as well. Um, so under that wife, Miriam, who he got rid of his first wife, 
and then later had this, this wife executed. Uh, well, they had had two sons, Alexander and Aristobulus. In 7 BC, so this is 22 years later after uh, the wife has been executed, Herod, um, and you can, you can see, whenever you kind of look at uh, a lot of these leaders, no matter what empire you look at, typically one of the things that happens in one of those rulers' lives is they become paranoid. Whether you look at like the Persian Empire or the Assyrians or Babylonians, you always see like whenever somebody wants world domination, they have to be fearful that somebody else might world domination and try to knock them off. And so Herod is very paranoid. He's paranoid that his sons are going to kill him. He's paranoid about his wife trying to do something. And so he has them executed. And sometimes you see that. The Caesar is the same thing. It was kind of in the Roman family to do that same thing. And so he starts to get paranoid that his sons under this wife that he had executed are going to turn on him. This is 20 years later. And so he has them executed. And he makes his first son, who he had exiled, Antipater, uh, the heir to the throne. So it's kind of bizarre. Like, I'm going to push you off to the side, and then, no, no, I really love you, and come back, and I'll make you, make you the heir. Well, in 4 BC, so three years later, after he declared Antipater to be his heir, so this is really like, in my will, I'm going to make you the ruler when I'm gone. Well, three years later, he gets paranoid about Antipater and has him executed for attempted murder. And at this point, instead of having one person rule after him, which he had kind of said this son was going to rule and this son's going to rule, he decides that he's going to split his kingdom up into four, um, four uh, portions and, and then dies in 4 BC. So at the end of that year, he, he died after he, he had his son executed. Um, so the Roman Empire is divided among three sons and actually Herod's sister into what they call tetrarchs. So one of those, so we have Herod Antipas, which is not Antipater, is one of the tetrarchs. Philip, the tetrarch, is one of those guys. Archelaus is another, and Salome is his sister who gets one of those things. So one of those guys is Herod Antipas, and Herod Antipas, which is not Antipater, but sounds pretty similar, um, who's already been executed, is, is ruling over one-fourth of the kingdom. It's the area of Galilee, but not Judea. Okay? It's that Herod is the Herod who, has, who, who is Herod when Jesus is being crucified. So you can kind of see that this Herod is not as powerful over one entire region. He's like only got one-fourth, and he really doesn't even have the area that rules over Jerusalem. It's the area over Galilee, which is kind of half-Jewish, mixed-Gentile, some of those areas. And so you can kind of see why when the Jews brought him before that Herod, he's like, well, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with that. That's really not my jurisdiction, and sends him back to Pilate. Well, Herod Antipas, he's got his own issues. He marries his niece and half-brother's wife, Herodias. And so, to kind of keep up with this, I kind of did a timeline here, or like a family tree. All right, so this is Herod. Herod has five wives, okay? And other wives, they have two, two kids, all right? So here's, um, all right, so this is, this is that Doris, who they shun and say, okay, I'm marrying her, you know, get out of my life. He executes these two guys, Aristobulus and Archelaus, and then later sets up this guy to be who he had shunned to be his heir, and then later has him executed. Um, and then splits his kingdom up between you know various, uh, he's got other wives, so one gets one, one gets one, one gets one, and then his sister gets one. Okay, so one of these guys, Herod Antipas, this is the guy that we're talking about, who is the guy who's ruling... Uh, during Jesus' lifetime. 
Well, okay, so these two have been knocked off, but he had three sons, Herod Agrippa. This is the Herod that we're talking about in Acts, okay? His sister Herodias marries uh, Herod Philip, who was one of those tetrarchs. Well, this Herod, who is his cousin, um, or I'm sorry, half-brother, right, because these are all wives, and it's hard when you don't live in that sort of lifestyle, right, to, to think about that. So his half-brother, he goes and visits his half-brother, falls in love with Herodias, his wife, and he's already married. Uh, he divorces his wife, convinces Herodias to divorce his wife, uh, and then they marry together, which is why, if you can see, we've got dotted lines. They were married, they got divorced, and now they're married. So that's his niece, but now become, and he's also his half-brother's wife convinces her to divorce, and then gets married. Which is why the whole John the Baptist issue became such a big deal. Because he was like, you're marrying your sister. Um, or your, brother, your brother's wife, and you know, however you want to think about it. And that was the issue. For a Jew, that was kind of a, kind of a big deal. And no one really ever mentions the thing that it was also his niece, but it was a niece through a half-brother, so maybe it doesn't matter as much. Um, so, but he is a guy that is the Herod during... Uh, the time of the John the Baptist and has her beheaded. Salome was the daughter who came and said, I want his head on a plate, and so you kind of get, get that idea. Uh, and then when he, you know, Jesus is being tried, again, you can kind of see why he doesn't have that, quite, that authority because he's like, I'm just kind of trying to survive here. I'm just one of many fish who you know, rule over. Like I would rather have Pilate take care of this. Um, but Herod Agrippa whose father has been executed by granddad, um, is the Herod that we see here. Now, um, Herod Agrippa, uh, so Herod Antipas, he marries his, his niece and half-brother's wife Herodias. John the Baptist kind of talked about that. In, in AD 37, Caligula becomes emperor, and he gives Antipas' nephew and friend rule of Philip's territory and title of king. Okay, So Philip had died in this time, Caligula become, has, had become friends with Herod, and I'll talk about that in a second. So he's the new emperor, and he says, you know what, Herod? I'm going to give you his, his, his region to rule over, which is one thing. But because um, it, the kingdom was split into kind of four areas, no one was given the title king of the Jews. But he said, I'm going to give you that, and I'm going to call you king of the Jews, which made this Herod, who was Antipas, who had already been ruling for some time, and also his uncle, to say, like, hey, what gives? And so he goes and he approaches Caligula, and he says, hey, I want the title of king of the Jews, which is where his nephew, Agrippa, says, well, let me, let me tell you, know, you Caligula of some things. Did you know that um, Herod Antipas has been amassing you know, a cache of guns, or I'm sorry, guns, a cache of weapons? I don't know. <laughs> that would be... That would be odd. Uh, a cache of, <laughs> of weapons. Um, and, you know, and so, and so when he's asked about that, have you been amassing weapons, he, he says yes, and then he has him executed. Uh, actually, no, he has him exiled, and Herodias um, goes along with him into exile. So he says, so now this Herod is out of the picture, and he's been now given his land. All right, so you kind of see all like the messed up things that are going on uh, with that. Well, Agrippa. So we're gonna want to get a little bit of like Agrippa and his life story. That Agrippa was sent to Rome by Herod, his grandfather, after the execution of his father. He says, "Okay, 
kind of paranoid about your dad, but I'm going to send you to Rome. Well, now when he goes to Rome, uh, he is educated with that Roman emperor, Tiberius' son, becomes kind of friends with him. He also befriends a guy named Claudius, uh, who's in that family line, who would later become emperor after Caligula. Um, and then Tiberius eventually becomes emperor in AD 14. Uh, when his friend, who's Tiberius' son, dies, um, Agrippa had been kind of living this lavish lifestyle, and now that his friend is no longer kind of protecting him, he goes on the run. And so his uncle, Antipas, this is before he, knocked, he, he turns on him, actually gave him some money, gave him a position in Israel, and said, hey, you can kind of rule over, the, you know, rule over this area. And eventually, though, he kind of is turned on against the people and goes into exile. When he's in exile, he befriends this guy Caligula, who would later become emperor. That Caligula, and uh, uh, when he's in exile, um, or I'm sorry, when he, after he befriends Caligula, he is heard, overheard saying, I hope someday Caligula could be emperor uh, over Tiberius, who's the current emperor uh, at that time. Well, Tiberius gets mad and throws him in jail. When Tiberius finally dies, Caligula says, I'm going to free you and I'm going to give you this uh, territory over Philip's land, Herod, Herod the, the Tetrarch. And so Caligula becomes emperor uh, and uh, gives him his uncle's territory. In 39, Antipas was exiled and Agrippa was given the territory of Galilee. Um, Caligula was assassinated in, by the Senate, and Claudius, who he had befriended earlier when he was younger, becomes emperor. And then uh, Claudius says, you know what, I'm going to give you the rest of the kingdom. And so finally now Judea and Samaria are tied in under um, Agrippa's reign. And so he is now at this time, because of all his political dealings and befriend, people who he befriended, uh, has risen to power, has given this title King of the Jews, and so it's gone to his head a little bit. I kind of give you all this backstory. I know it can be like, you know, trying to keep all of these things straight, is that when you look at Agrippa's life, it's kind of a messed up life. I mean, you know, when you think, like, I've had things happen to me, um, you know, he's had a lot of these things, but his life has always been trying to please other people and trying to really... Um, rise in the sense of power in a position of status. And so that's where we are in verse 20. We see verse 20, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. He took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So we see that Herod, he went down to Caesarea, to the coastal city, you know, where Cornelius lived. And so we kind of probably know that Peter, his interactions with Peter, Cornelius' Peter, Cornelius's interactions with Peter probably had heard, gotten to the ear of, of the king and the Jews, which is why he had a target on his back. And it says that he was angry with Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are coastal cities that are north, they're kind of outside of Israel, but under his jurisdiction. They're in that area of Phoenicia, 
um, often talked about in, in the Old Testament. So they weren't looked at as part of Israel, but they were looked at a, uh, an area north of there, which is now modern-day Lebanon. And so they asked for a meeting with the king because they wanted to get on his good side. And so all this in pomp and circumstance, the king agreed and he speaks to them. And the people responded in what way? What do they say of, of Herod? Agrippa. Yeah, not the voice of a man, but the voice of a God. And so they tried to flatter him by calling him a God. Now, this would have been shocking for many reasons. Um, one would be, who would have been offended by this? Okay, the Jews would have been offended because why? There's only one God. Who else would have been offended? The Romans would have been offended because, well, Blastus is his chamberlain, so that's kind of his, like. Didn't they want him to rule over them? Who's that? Who, Blastus? Yeah, they wanted Blastus to rule over them. Didn't the scripture say that they. It says they wanted Blastus, they wanted to ask for peace, so they went to his kind of go between to say, hey, can we have you set up a meeting with him? So he sets up a meeting with them, and all in this pomp and circumstance, like Herod comes out, and uh, you know they they praise him. It would have, but it would also gone against Rome, uh, who believed really that the the chief god would have been Caesar himself. And so, what happened as a result? As a result, yeah, God judged him. And it's interesting if you read um, a. Uh, and I'll, I'll kind of close with this, um, is that Josephus, you know, who's a Jewish historian, re, has the account of Herod's death. Um, and he writes of this, he says, When Agrippa had reigned three years over all Judea, he came to the city of Caesarea, which is formerly called Strato's Tower. And there he exhibited spectacles in honor of Caesar, for whose well-being he'd been informed that a certain festival was being celebrated. At this festival, a great number were gathered together of the principal persons of dignity and of province. And on the second day of the spectacles, he put on a garment made wholly of silver, of a truly wonderful texture, and came into the theater early in the morning. There the silver of his garment, being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays, shone out in a wonderful manner, and was so resplendent as to spread all over the people that looked intently upon him. Present, uh, presently his flatterers cried out, one from one place and one from another, though not for his good, that he was a god, and they added, Be thou merciful to us, for although we have hitherto uh, reverenced thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth own thee as superior to mortal nature. Again, this is a historian, a, a non-Christian historian, who's confirming the same things that Luke is. Upon this king neither rebuked them nor rejected their uh, impious flattery, but he shortly afterward looked up and he saw an owl sitting on a certain rope over his head and immediately understood that this bird was the messenger of ill tidings, just as it has once been the messenger of good tidings to him and fell into the deepest sorrow. A severe pain arose in his belly, striking with a most violent intensity. He therefore looked upon his friends and said, I, whom you call a god, and commanded presently to depart this life, while providence thus reproves the lying words you just now said to me, and I who is by you called immortal am immediately to be hurried away by death. But I am bound to accept what providence allots as it pleases God, for we have by no means lived ill, but in a splendid and happy manner. 
When he said this, his pain became violent. Accordingly, he was carried into the palace, and the rumor went abroad everywhere that he would certainly die soon. The multitude sat in sackcloth, men, women, and children, after the law of their country, and besought God for the king's recovery. All places were also full of mourning and lamentation. Now the king rested in a high chamber, and he saw them below lying prostrate on the ground. He could not keep himself from weeping. And when he had been quite worn out by the pain in his belly for five days, he departed this life, being in the 54th year of his age and in the seventh year of his reign. And so the attributed, Josephus attributes it to some omen, Luke attributes his death for the fact that he did not give glory to God. And Scripture says that, you know, this violent pain that he was eaten by worms. As a result of this, as a result of Herod's death, we see that this fear is kind of suppressed now and that the church is able to go. We'll pick this up at the very end of this next week as we kind of then now follow Saul and maybe tie up some loose ends uh, from what we saw here. But if we kind of just want to go back and see, we see God's hand is clearly in all the events that we've seen. Um, you know, He doesn't insulate us from our trials, but He can also work through our trials um, in, uh, in all of the things that we see. God can use corrupt men to advance His agenda. We see that Peter is going to move to a new place. We'll see that G- James, um, Jesus' brother, is now in a new p- p- place of leadership, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. We see that we should pray. Even uh, when we don't feel like it will work, because <laughs> sometimes you know, we even see that the people weren't sure exactly if they knew it would work or not. And that God gives hope even in dark times. Yes, John? There's a, a really good book that uh, people would enjoy reading about, uh, by, about uh, praying hide, John Hyde. But they called it praying hide. Praying hide. Mm-hmm. Do you, you recommend and, that? Oh, recommend that? Well, it's, it's, a, it, um, it's challenging. Reminded me of how uh, shallow I am. And it's, it's exciting seeing how you know, a man can kneel silently beside his bed for four hours and not say a word having somebody with him yeah. pray yeah. uh, before he feels like he's uh, in a place where he can uh, besiege the throne of grace. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's, you know, we need to be reminded of that. Um, you know, that, the last point that I wanted to make was that no matter what, acknowledge that God is working in all things. And I think, again, that's the, the first kind of starting point when we come, even in our prayer, is that God can work through this no matter what. And re- no matter what the result is, whether Peter was let go or whether he stayed in prison and was uh, executed for it, that uh, God can be glorified in those circumstances. So, I know we kind of ran a little bit a little bit late, um, but uh, we'll uh, wrap this up and go to uh, go to corporate worship.